reading from Acts chapter 9 this morning. I want to continue on our series. This was very unexpected. I just preached one message from Acts, and God told me to keep going. At least it's the sense I got. And so uh, that's interesting the way it works sometimes. Um, we uh, we did a, in Bible study this past week, we jumped back into 1 Samuel for Samuel 18. So if you're looking for some devotional time, there's uh, we talked about friendship and uh having a friend who loves us like a brother. And that that's Jonathan loving David, loved him as he loved himself. And um, is an interesting discussion. So if you're still itching for the Old Testament, itching for to get back into 1 Samuel, where we left off our last series, um, don't, feel free to join us, Lord willing, for Bible study on, uh, on Thursday night, and we'll continue on that way. At least that's the plan. So let's read in Acts chapter 9 this morning. We're going to hear all about Saul, Saul's conversion and uh, his slow process to eventually become Paul. In verse 1, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any who, there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They had heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by hand to, into Damascus. For three days he was blind, and he did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see, see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. After many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him, but Saul learned of their plan. Day and night, they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him, but his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul, on his journey, had seen the Lord, and the Lord had spoken to him, and how, in Damascus, he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved 
abode freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It increased in numbers. So tonight or today, today's message is all about transformation. Saul obviously goes through an incredible transformation. And so in this story, we really see the stark contrast between the old sinful nature and the new creation in Christ. And we're going to focus on that. Saul, who later goes by Paul, is completely transformed uh, from being spiritually dead to then being spiritually alive in Jesus Christ. And he's previously living by the legalism, the old law, the old rules, righteous and zealous for God, believing in God, following God, and yet following God in the wrong way following God down the wrong path, doing the wrong things, and not listening fully to God. So he's going through all the process, all the, all the motions of being righteous, following all the rules, doing everything that a Jewish believer should do, uh, and yet not following the one and true God, who is Jesus Christ. And so jumping back to um, the beginning of chapter 9 here we see very clearly that an encounter with Jesus is life-changing this is what Saul has he has an encounter with the living God it's an encounter with Jesus and it's there's no simpler way to put it other than he just meets Jesus we, we like to use the phrase we you know they, they found Jesus or they met Jesus that that person found Jesus um, I, I don't know that maybe that doesn't fit I, I remember seeing a um, a comic someone had drawn up uh, and it was someone op- answering the door to their house and there was an evangelist there saying have you found Jesus yet and then hidden in the background and behind the curtains you can see Jesus' sandals feet and he's poking his head out he's hi- he was hiding in the house the whole time he didn't know they hadn't found Jesus yet and I remember thinking oh that that does make it seem funny that people find Jesus in, in actuality I believe Jesus finds us <laughs> And it's not that Jesus is lost, and that's not that we have to seek him out, although that is symbolically what we're doing, but rather when we have an encounter with Jesus, when we meet Jesus, though we're not going to meet him likely in the way Saul did, we can still have a powerful encounter with Jesus Christ in our daily lives if we'll allow him, if we'll listen to him, if we'll be obedient. Now, God is not calling us to the same ministry that Paul ends up having, he, and I'll, we'll use Saul and Paul interchangeably. You'll have to understand they're the same person. But uh, God's not calling us to the exact same thing. And so God is not calling us in the exact same way. But God is calling each of us very much the same. He, he's, he's calling us to be effective for his kingdom, to be obedient to him. And though it might not look exactly the same as Saul, the truth of what happens is still the same. And so this encounter, the, the most foundational thing we can learn from this scripture is the incredible life-changing experience of an encounter with Jesus Christ. And so Saul is on the road nearing Damascus when he is blinded by a bright light and Jesus speaks to him audibly enough that everyone else around hears as well. I remember recently reading a, a, an article saying that they believe that Saul uh, was either struck by lightning or lightning struck around him so brightly that that was what blinded him. Whether or not that is what happened is, is a moot point. It's not a physical thing that Saul goes through, but rather a spiritual thing. And what Saul is going through with, with this temporary blindness is going to have to be to learn to trust God. 
He's going to learn to trust the others around him. And what a powerful symbol when it's written that we walk by faith and not by sight. Saul literally has to go and do that now because he's lost his sight and now has to trust the others around him, learning to lean on them and trust in them as they lead him hand, hand in hand into the city of Damascus. So it's interesting because the experience alone that Saul goes through must have been a powerful and frightening experience. But I do want to highlight on the fact that it is just an experience. And I think I want to just take a moment to discuss the fact that too many churches, I think, want to focus on the experience of having an experience with Jesus Christ, wanting to have an experience in the Holy Spirit, wanting to experience God's presence, and they're focusing so much about the experience without focusing on whom the experience is with. The reason I say that is there are churches out there who are are very charismatic, and that's not, not a bad thing. There are churches that are all about the presence of the Holy Spirit in the service. There are a lot of churches out there who who you know these these are the the growing and popular churches. A lot of them on TV or you see on Facebook or other places on the internet that that are promoting and uh, and gaining followers. It's about having an experience with God. And Bethel Bethel churches like that, where Bethel music comes from, some of the songs we sing from Bethel churches, very much like that, about the experience. And there's nothing wrong with having an experience with Jesus Christ. It's a good thing. But if we begin to focus on the experience without focusing on Jesus Christ first, then all of a sudden it just becomes about, I want to have an experience. I want to, I want to have a moment with God. There are a lot of believers out there, and I I grew up with it too. We had uh, teaching like this a little bit of, I think, and looking back on it now, a little bit of false teaching, a little bit of uh, false false prophets coming through Kitimat and and praying over people, pushing them over, and having people slain in the spirit and all those kinds of things. There's nothing wrong intrinsically with the way God does things. But when we try and force the issue so that people will have an experience that changes them. It's not the experience that changes them. It's Jesus. And so people can have all different manner of experiences with Jesus Christ. Some people have an experience with Jesus Christ just by opening the Word of God. And God transforms them through that. It's not about the emotions. It's not about uh, a powerful healing. It's not about um, being slain in the Spirit or anything truly profound and miraculous We need to understand that what's life-changing about that is not the experience itself. Again, it's the fact that it's with Jesus. There's a focus here on being filled with the Spirit, on experiencing the presence of God, and an emphasis on signs and wonders. But sometimes there's very little emphasis on the purpose of every single one of those things in some of these churches. And I just want to warn against that and for us to be careful, even in our own church, that we're not so eager to have an experience that we forget about who we're having the experience with. The reason that Saul has changed is not because he has an experience, but because of Jesus Christ. And every encounter with Jesus is different. It doesn't look the same for all of us. Understand, not everyone who became a powerful apostle, whether to the Gentiles in Saul, in Paul's case, or to the other Jewish believers like Peter and others, who are powerfully proclaiming the word of God, not everyone experiences Jesus in the same way. It's not recorded anywhere else in Scripture that that other believers became blind and Jesus spoke to them in a vision and then someone came and laid hands on them and prayed for them. If that was the only way for us to be equipped and empowered for ministry, 
if we had to, pack our bags, get on the road to Damascus, experience the presence of God blinding us, and having a man named Ananias come and pray for us, A, the airfare would be insane for us to have to all go there. B, nobody would do it. Uh, understand, this is what other religions are doing when they're going to Mecca. They're paying an incredible amount of money, some of them saving their entire lives for that hajj, for that journey, just to have an experience with a God who's not living. That's uh, other religions, other pilgrimages who, who feel the need to uh, expend time and resources and money just to have an experience when what they really need to be looking for is not an experience but a person. And for us, our, our, our goal needs to be not the experience with Christ, but simply Christ himself. How silly would it be to expect that we all have to go blind on the road to Damascus in order to receive Christ or to have an experience with him? Every experience looks different, and we need to understand that each experience with Christ draw, can draw us closer to him and transform us and change us. I'm finding more and more that God frequently finds creative and different ways to accomplish his purposes, and he finds different ways to speak to all of us. Even, in, even when we look at Jesus and the way Jesus heals people, and when Jesus lays hands on people, sometimes Jesus lays hands on people and demons come out. Sometimes Jesus just speaks and demons come out. Sometimes Jesus lays his hand on people's eyes and they're healed. Another time he spits in mud and rubs it. And other times he puts his fingers in people's ears and all of a sudden they can hear. And other times he prays for them. And another time uh, Jesus lays hands on someone and they're healed of bleeding. And yet another time someone just reaches out and grabs the edge of his cloak and she's healed of bleeding that had been there for years. Jesus heals in all kinds of different and miraculous ways. And it's insane to try and limit God to just one or two or a handful of ways that he's able to work when he created everything about us, everything we see around us. God is incredibly creative. He works in different ways. He speaks to us in different ways. And he meets us in different ways. And so we don't, we shouldn't focus so much on exactly how we're experience Jesus, experiencing Jesus, but rather on having an experience with Jesus, no matter what that looks like. For many of us, it's going to come at home, in our private prayer time, in our time in the Word. God will speak to us. Sometimes it's when we're alone. Sometimes it's when we're with a bunch of people. Sometimes it's in church or it may be in a revival meeting or I don't know where exactly it'll all happen, but make no mistake, no matter how it happens, that an encounter with Jesus is utterly and completely life-changing. And if we're not changed, maybe we haven't had a complete and true encounter with Jesus. Maybe he's calling us deeper. Maybe he's calling us to a deeper relationship with him so he can change us more. For Saul and billions of others since then, experiencing Jesus Christ is a life altering experience, something that changes us forever. Something that when we turn to Jesus causes us to be born again, to be a, a new creation in Christ. For Saul, this happens very dramatically because he not only does he go from not believing in Jesus to suddenly believing in Jesus, not only does he go from not going to church to being a very big part of the church, he goes from murdering Christians and take specifically conniving a plan so that he can arrest Christians on his way, because he's going anyways, and thinks, while I'm on the path, I might as well arrest some Christians on the way. I'm going anyways, and I'll bring them back to Jerusalem and throw them in prison. He goes from being as, I mean, as anti-Christian as you can possibly get 
to being a powerful voice for Jesus Christ to all Gentiles the world over. We have multiple books written by this Saul, written in Scripture, because God changes him dramatically. And God changes him from persecuting Christians to speaking on behalf of Christians everywhere. God orchestrates this perfectly. And that's our second lesson, is the way that God orchestrates things perfectly. I, I find it amazing in this story. And so verse 11 and 12, as we jump ahead here, uh, starting in verse 10, just to give you a bit of background. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias, and the Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias, and he answers the right way. Yes, Lord. That's the way we should always answer God. Uh, he gives us a good example of what not to do later. But in verse 11, the Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying, and in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Wow. Can you imagine being challenged to do this thing? And there's, a, there's I mean, Ananias has very good reason to be afraid to go and do this thing. But can you imagine God working out so perfectly? God doesn't just tell Saul, someone's going to come and pray for you. God doesn't just tell Saul, don't worry, you'll be healed. God tells Saul specifically, a man from this city, his name is Ananias, which is not that common of a name, <laughs> is going to come and lay hands on you and pray for you, and then your sight will be restored. And then at the same time, God calls a man named Ananias. It's not a coincidence. That's too big of a coincidence. And God speaks to Ananias and says, go, go to Saul and go, go find this man from Tarsus and lay hands on him and pray for him because I told him that that's what you're going to do. Talk about pressure to listen and be obedient to God. Because what happens if Ananias doesn't go? I think too often we're not afraid enough of what will happen if we don't go. Because we, we haven't considered the thought an option that Ananias doesn't go. Does God then go to another Ananias? I don't even know what that looks like. But God knew the situation and knew that I believe that he knew Ananias would go. And so we don't consider, we need to be a little bit sometimes afraid of not doing what God has called us to do. Because look at what happens when Ananias does go. His, so Ananias' response to, to God in verse 13 says, Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. <laughs> you know what Ananias is saying? He's saying, if I go, I'll be the first one arrested, God. <laughs> if I go, I'm going to be the first one to go to prison. Are you sure, God? This is essentially what he's saying. He's basically saying no to God. And God's response is pretty firm. <laughs> he has come here to, with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go! Go! With an exclamation point. Go! This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show, how, show him how much he must suffer for my name. And in verse 17, Then Ananias went to the house and entered it, and placing his hands... On Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road when you were coming here, has sent me to you so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. I think that's amazing. 
You know what's amazing? Well, there's a few amazing things. First of all, I can't believe that God has orchestrated that so perfectly. And God is able to do amazing and miraculous things. In a few moments, I'll share with you a story about God doing it in my own life. But I, I, I love God's response to, um, to Ananias because I do this with my kids. <laughs> Adelaide, I want you to go clean up your room. But Dad, Go! <laughs> I think God, when we say God the Father, He is. He's the Father. And when He says something, oh, I think we better do it. <laughs> and you know what, God, you know what, I, I was reading this and I was reflecting on it a little bit. And you know what it doesn't say? It doesn't say you're wrong. God doesn't tell Ananias, don't worry about going to jail. God doesn't tell Ananias, it's okay, I've changed him. He's a different man. You know, you don't have to be afraid. God just tells Ananias, go anyways. And sometimes God's calling us to do, let's be honest, this is a ridiculous thing that God is asking Ananias to do. It's dangerous. Understand, Saul is there when they stone Stephen to death. Remember, we just talked about that a few weeks ago. They laid their cloaks at his feet so that they could be unencumbered to murder Stephen. And so Saul not only was there, but approved of his killing. How, how many people then are going to be eager to go and confront and talk and pray for Saul, knowing that he approves of the murder of Christians and is here specifically for the sole purpose of arresting Christians? And God doesn't say, it's okay, he's not going to arrest you. God just says, go. Go. God is going to challenge us if we are obedient to him. He's going to test that obedience. He's going to challenge us to be obedient even when it's scary. And if we are obedient, God can do amazing and powerful and profound things through us. But only if we're obedient to a fault. Only if we're obedient even in the, in the things that seem ridiculous and small. When I was a teenager, we went to youth convention and I would have been 14 or 15 years old at this time, probably 14. Uh, and so we were coming back. We came from Kitimat all the way to, it used to be in Kamloops in those days. And so we would do it in two days because that's a long, that's a long drive. And so we were on our way home from youth convention from History Maker. And uh, we stopped, we got a hotel in Prince George. That was always the plan. And we were all, you know, the youth leaders were going to take us out to see a movie. We all had money to go and see a movie. And uh, when we got to the hotel, we unloaded all our bags. And we got together and uh, our youth leaders gathered us together and decided we, we needed to have a prayer meeting. We were going to have a prayer meeting uh, just, you know, before we go to the movies. Well, we never ended up going to the movies that night. God powerfully moved in that prayer meeting. And we were praying and we just kept praying and seeking God and we kept praying and seeking God. And I had a moment that I've, I haven't had quite like this since. And as I was praying, God told me to do something very specific. Now, oftentimes God tells me to do things, uh, but often he's not this specific. God called me and he told me to get up and walk out of the room. Leave. Just go. It's a motel, so I'm walking out into the parking lot. And he tells me, go out in the parking lot. I'm going to show you where you're going to go. <laughs> this is terrifying. I'm like 14, 15 years old. And by the way, youth leaders would freak out if this ever happened today. <laughs> And so I, I leave the room, and I don't think anyone's even aware that I'm going. And so uh, everyone's praying. We're, we're powerfully, the Holy Spirit's moving, and everyone's praying out loud or praying in tongues and, and praying for one another and laying hands on. I go out the door, and, I, and God just tells me to go. And so as I go out, he tells me to turn left. And as I'm walking through the parking lot, God is speaking to me. He says, you're going to find someone, I want you to ask them 
I want you to ask them if you can pray for them. And so I'm, you know, I'm, I'm listening. I'm saying, God, who am I going to ask? There's no one even out here. You know, it's like eight at night. It's, it's, you know, I, who, I don't know anyone here. I'm not from Prince George and I'm very uncomfortable. And God leads me down and it's a U-shaped motel. And I'm walking, we're on this part of the U and I walk out and I go left. I'm going to the, the, the bottom of the U, if you will. And as I'm walking down, I'm thinking, God, who are you going to show me? God shows me this open door, this propped open door of a motel room. And God says, that's where you're going. And internally, I'm just cringing. I'm like, I can't just walk into a stranger's room, God. What do you want me to do here? I'm very uncomfortable. But I, in the moment, I, I, I just want to listen to the Holy Spirit. I want to be led by the Spirit. And so I go, I go up to the door, and I kind of knock on the open door. You know how you knock on an open door, and it just kind of flings in further? And so I knock on this open door, and there's a, there's a guy there laying on the bed. Just a, you know, a young, he's maybe in his 20s, early 20s. He's just laying there, and I poke my head in and say, hey, man can I pray for you? <laughs> he goes, yeah, sure. I was like, actually, can we pray for you? We're having a prayer meeting over in another room here and all my youth group is praying and we, we want to pray for you. And so he's like, yeah, absolutely. Oh, you can pray for me. So he hops up out of bed and slips his shoes on and he's following me back. And while I, I'm gone, they're still praying. And so we walk back and understand that while I'm gone, a friend of mine, Joey, has been praying and tells people, God showed me that a stranger is going to come to us and we have to pray for him. And so here I lead him and like a gentleman, I open the door and let him in first. And here this stranger walks into the room. No one knows him. And I kind of trundle in behind him, unaware of what's going on in the room. And everyone kind of is startled <laughs> at a stranger walking into the room asking, you know, what one is to pray. So we laid hands on him and prayed for him for blessing over his life. We asked him if there's anything he wanted prayer for. We found out he was a, a, a student at Briarcrest Bible College. He wasn't sure if he was going to go back to Bible College. We laid hands on him and prayed for him that God would speak into his life and lead him. I don't know whatever happened to him. I don't remember his name. But I do remember that when God calls you to do something, he expects us to do it, and we don't know just what he's going to do through us. All I had to do was ask. As scary as it was, it wasn't so bad once I just listened and was obedient to God. We've had other experiences before, too, where God has spoken into our lives. He tells us to do something. He leads us very clearly. We don't know. We just don't know how perfectly. I don't think we understand and grasp how perfectly God can orchestrate our lives if we listen to him and we're obedient to him. I don't think that God wanted to yell at Saul or yell at Ananias. I don't think God wanted to have to blind Saul to catch his attention. My guess is, from my experience in life, God probably tried to speak to Saul in other ways and he wasn't listening. That, that's, that's just a personal guess. Don't read into that. That's my own, you know, that, that's not in scripture. That's not biblical necessarily. But I, I know, I know that for God to do it this way, he knew exactly what he had to line up so that Saul would listen. But I don't think God likes to have to blind us to catch our attention. I don't think God's plan for each and every one of us is to yell, go at us. I love when my children are obedient without me even asking <laughs> and without me having to tell them three and four and five times. 
God has a, has a father's heart and desires for our quick obedience, not for his sake, for our sake. Understand, when I teach my kids, when I discipline my kids, it's not because I'm mean. You all know this, those of you who are parents and otherwise, who are adults. When we discipline our kids, it's not because we hate them. It's because we love them. And we want what's best for them. And when God calls us to do something, it's not because he wants us to be weird and strange people. God has a plan and we're not able to see the other side sometimes. Like an embroidery, when we see the underside, everything looks ugly with all the thread hanging out there. But when you see the other side and the beauty of what God has created, all of a sudden it makes sense. And I don't know that we're going to get to see parts of that tapestry until we get to heaven. But if we're obedient to it, God will do a beautiful thing through us. I know that much. God can orchestrate things perfectly. I remember hearing of a story. I don't know. I couldn't verify. I couldn't find it. But I, I, I believe it to be a true story of a man who one day God called him and he's driving home from church. I think he's a youth pastor, if I remember the story correctly. And he's driving by this, this uh, gas station and it's closed. There's no one around. And he, God tells him, stop, you need to get a drink. So he stops and there's a pop machine outside. And so he stops and he gets a drink. And he's drinking it there and God says, it's time for you to, to do a handstand, a headstand, whatever, you know, like put your body up against the wall and stand upside down. He just had this urge. He didn't, couldn't shake it. He's like, I'm not doing a headstand, God. That's weird. And God tells him, no, you are going to do it. You have to, you know, you couldn't shake this feeling. You just, just couldn't shake it. And he does his headstand and then he, you know, kind of flips over and he looks around like embarrassed. Like, hope nobody saw that. <laughs> he takes this drink and a man comes crying out of the gas station, unlocks the door. And shared with this man that he had said that he had been hiding in the store ready to kill himself. And he prayed and he said, God, the only way I won't kill myself, the only way I'll believe that you're real and I'm going to stop this and I'm going to change my life, if I look outside and I see a man doing a headstand, <laughs> I, don't know that, that, what, I don't know what happens in that situation without that man listening to God, having this crazy, ridiculous obedience. God calls people all throughout Scripture to do audacious things, things that don't seem to make sense. And sometimes when, uh, when God is calling us to do things that don't make sense, that's when he wants to do something even more miraculous and powerful and profound. That's the only way I can describe it. Why else would God call us to do? I think very often God calls us to do very mundane things. I mean, throughout scripture, we're told to feed the poor, to help the homeless, to clothe those who are naked, to visit those who are in prison. That's, that's what we're told. That's how we're told we will, that God separates the sheep and the goats. He says, away from me, I never knew you, to those who never fed the least of these, who never clothed the least of these, who never met with the least of these. Whatever you've done to the least of these, you've done unto me. That's what Jesus says. And to those who did feed the poor, who did help those who were homeless, who did give clothes to those who, who met the needs of the poor, God welcomes them in lovingly those are very real and practical things i think god doesn't call us to do outrageous things all the time i think very frequently god calls us to do very mundane things like help our neighbors move or bring them a meal when they're sick and pray for them and lay hands on them and love them and just care for them those are those are not outrageous and crazy and outlandish things but every now and then when god wants to orchestrate something amazing it's going to take a kind of obedience that goes beyond just that I don't think he does it all the time. I don't think it's a regular occurrence. I'm not going to pretend that it happens every day. 
but it can, and we need to be we need to be readily listening for the Holy Spirit to lead us. Don't be afraid to do something that doesn't seem to make sense on behalf of God. That's our, our, I think, our third lesson continuing on from Ananias is to be obedient even through the doubts. Ananias has his doubts and he expresses them to God. And in th- verse 13, he says, Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports of, about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. And God said to Ananias, go, go. This man's my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. And he placed his hands on Saul and Saul began to see uh, the scales fall from his eyes. God is calling Ananias just the same as he's calling us to be obedient even through the doubts. I, I find this interesting because Ananias is not, not rebuked here necessarily for his doubts. But God tells him to go anyways. God calls us to be obedient. Obviously, God doesn't want us to doubt. Scripture says the one who doubts is like a wave tossed in the wind, that we shouldn't expect to receive anything in prayer when we doubt. It's not that doubt is a good thing, but I do believe that the temptation of doubt is real and it's there. And I believe that God is calling us beyond our doubt to do things anyways. To reach out and stretch out our faith and take that step of faith despite the doubt. Obviously, I'm not going to encourage doubt, but I think that God really gets Ananias' attention here, and he gets ours when he just says, go. I'm telling us today, we need to persevere beyond our doubt. Don't be afraid of rejection. Don't be afraid of Saul's in your life, but be bold in your faith. Be recklessly obedient to God. Recklessly obedient. Beyond what makes sense in human eyes. Because if we only take those simple steps of faith without taking the dangerous steps of faith, we'll be missing out on opportunities. Now, all of the disciples had faith in the boat when they're crossing and there's, there's a storm and they see Jesus walking to them across the water. But only one of those people gets out of the boat. It's Peter. Only one man steps out of the boat in faith and gives us a, a powerful object lesson of, in faith and keeping our eyes on Jesus. Of the 12 that are there, one has the experience of walking on water because he stepped out of the boat in faith. Don't be afraid to step out of the boat in faith. It doesn't make sense in man's eyes for Peter to get out of the boat. And yet God protects him and gives him this amazing and miraculous experience. God is able to do the miraculous through you, but sometimes he's going to call you to step beyond to step beyond our doubt in faith. Be so obedient to God that sometimes it doesn't even make sense in human eyes. Be obedient even through our doubts and fears to continue to be obedient to God beyond that. And if we do that, God can and will orchestrate amazing things, but he doesn't do it until we're obedient. I I don't know that God necessarily then goes to Saul after if Ananias is not obedient. I don't know what happens at that point. Only God knows that. But God allows Ananias to experience healing of Saul and see the changed man that stands before him because he's obedient. We only know what we know. We only know what we've read here. And I know for a fact that Ananias doesn't experience that without. I'm not saying that God doesn't change Saul. I I believe he will anyways. God, just like when, when Mordecai says to Esther in the book of Esther, 
if you don't go, you know, if you don't stand up for the Jews, salvation will come to the Jews another way. And I believe salvation comes to Saul another way, if not through Ananias. But Ananias doesn't get to experience it if he doesn't go. And so because of his obedience, Ananias then gets to pray for Saul and lay hands on him. And this is essentially what he tells Saul. He says, Jesus has sent me. This is a paraphrase, but Jesus has sent me, so be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's, that's, I, I can't even tell you how many times I've read through these chapters, and every single chapter talks about being filled with the Holy Spirit. I mean, could there possibly be a greater emphasis in the book of Acts than being filled with the Holy Spirit? Ananias is filled with the Holy Spirit. I know that. I know that because when God speaks to him, despite his doubts, he goes anyways. He listens to God and says, I'm going to go. Do you know how scary it is to not, not only go and, and find Saul, but then to lay hands on him and pray for him, knowing that this is proof of my faith in Jesus Christ, knowing that he doesn't have to ask it for any witnesses now to throw me in prison. There's no, going to be no trial if this fails. And he has the faith to go forward and lay hands on Saul and pray for him. That's what's prophesied. That's what God tells him to do. And that's what God tells Saul is going to happen. And I, keep, I just keep marveling at the fact that in almost every chapter, we're told, be filled with the Spirit of God. We're shown examples of people who are filled with the Spirit of God. We're told very clearly the importance of being filled with the Holy Spirit. And again, we look back at Acts chapter 2 and remember that that outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon all people is being fulfilled because chapter after chapter after chapter, different people are being filled with the Holy Spirit. Every chapter we're seeing examples of that fulfillment. And in this chapter, it's Saul who's filled with the Holy Spirit. And so what's the result of that? As we continue on, we're just going to, I'm almost done here, but we'll continue on into verses 18 and 19 and 20. It says, immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again and he got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus and at once, in verse 20, at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus was the son, is the Son of God. Jesus is the Son of God. Immediately, Saul begins to do what God has called him to do and he's changed. He goes from murdering the people who say Jesus is the Son of God to being the one who proclaims it loudly in the synagogues. So a time is coming when, I find this really interesting, and I was just thinking about this. God tells Ananias that Saul is going to be the apostle to the, not he doesn't specifically say it here, but he does. He becomes the apostle to the Gentiles. And God tells Ananias that he's going to send um, Saul to the Gentile people. But the first place that Saul goes is not to the Gentiles. He goes to the synagogue the Jewish people, and to the Hellenistic Jews, to those who are believing in Greek culture. And he goes and he preaches where he's comfortable because that's what he knows. A time is coming when God is going to call Saul out of his comfort zone to preach to people who are not Jewish. But there is no one more qualified than Saul to speak to Jewish people. Saul says it in his letters when we read it, when we read his epistles later on. He says, I, I, I'm, I'm as, a, as far as righteousness goes, I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. I was, I was as Jewish as they come. I, I obeyed the law. I did everything right. I persecuted Christians like I was supposed to. And he says, I consider that all rubbish, garbage. I consider it all a loss compared to knowing Jesus Christ. 
I can't hear. I couldn't find it this morning. I came to mind and I didn't write it down. I don't remember exactly where it is, but you'll find it. Perhaps it's in Romans. Uh, and but God tells God tells Saul and he tells Ananias where Saul's going to go, but he doesn't take him there immediately. Sometimes God brings us through a process, and so God speaks through Saul and he he goes to the synagogue where he's comfortable among the Jews, and he begins to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and telling them Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus is the Son of God. Ultimately, Saul does that. He begins to use the name Paul. He writes many of our New Testament epistles, the New Testament letters, as you as you read on from here. Begins with Pauline epistles and um, travels on many different missionary journeys all throughout the known world at that time uh, and preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ everywhere he goes. God, in his wisdom, decides to use Paul to reach the Gentiles instead of his own people, his own Jewish people, because God knows what's best for Saul, for Paul. He knows what's best for the Gentile people, for us. By extension, we are still impacted by Saul's ministry. What happens when we get filled with the Spirit of God is we're obedient, even when it makes us uncomfortable. When God calls us, he, he calls us to obedience, and the result of being filled with the Spirit for Saul, first he's healed, then he's baptized, and then he preaches Jesus. And for us, I, I think it's fairly simple. Those of us who need healing, God wants to heal. We pray this morning, we pray for Loretta and for Eleanor, and we will pray for others. We, I believe God's calling us to have a time of healing when, when, in, when we're obedient to that. I don't know when that's going to be, but I think we're going to... We want to continue to be people who pray and lay hands on people because God healed Saul and he still heals people to this day. And so being filled with the Spirit of God comes, but sometimes there needs to be healing there. For Saul, the very real next step is baptism. He becomes baptized, not in the Holy Spirit, he becomes baptized in the water. That's kind of the next step. And from there, he's filled with the Spirit of God and given the words to say as he goes to the synagogue and beyond. God chooses to use Saul to reach, I mean, billions of people at this point. Since we have God's word written down through Paul, he's still using Paul's words and Paul's teaching today because a man named Ananias was faithful to something that seemed a little scary, but was obedient to God anyways. We... Once again, we can see that God regularly uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. He can orchestrate remarkable and amazing circumstances for His glory and for His plans. Uh, and He wants us to be obedient to that, even when we're afraid. Paul goes on to write that he considers everything he did as and followed as a Pharisee to be garbage and trash compared to knowing, compared to the experience with Jesus Christ. And God is calling us to experience Him as well. So my prayer for you is that you will. Uh, if you haven't, we want to pray for you and continue to pray for you. Um, and He wants you to be filled, filled with His Holy Spirit, so that you can go forward and be obedient to things He's calling you to do, whatever they are, and they're going to be different for all of us. But we must be obedient even through our doubts. We have to trust this plan because He executes it perfectly every time. And so He wants us to be filled with the Holy Spirit so we'll be sensitive to those callings when he calls us to do them. And God will use us just like he uses Saul and he uses Ananias.